and welcome to Maths on the Red Carpet, a special podcast from plus.maths.org. I'm Marianne Freiberger. And I'm Rachel Thomas. So today is Thursday the 7th of July 2022 and we're sitting by a beautiful lake in Espoo, Helsinki, Finland, uh, recovering after two really intense days reporting on the start of the International Congress of Mathematicians. Uh, yesterday was the awards lectures for the Fields Medal and Abacus Medal winners, uh, which were in person. Uh, Marianne, what did you think of those that day overall? Yeah, it was a really interesting day because we had these five important lectures uh, in the lecture theatre, which was packed out with real people, while at the same time, probably about 7,000 people who are registered to attend the virtual conference were watching online as it was being streamed. Um, and yeah, it was just really exciting to see those people talk about their work for a general mathematical audience. So it's quite, it was all quite accessible and just really interesting to see what these people are doing. Um, and one of the people who talked yesterday was Hugo Dominique Copin, who got a Fields Medal about his work on the mathematics of phase transitions. Uh, Rachel, what did you think about his lecture? Well, it was, I think it was probably my favourite lecture. Um, he was, he has a lovely speaking style, he's funny, uh, he made a point that he was excited to be the first French accent of the conference, um, and he, he clearly conveyed his incredible passion for his subject and how much he enjoys the work he does. Uh, but we were lucky enough to talk to Hugo in the run-up to uh, the ICM this year. And we started off with asking him what drew him to the area of statistical physics that he works in. I was always interested in physics and math for different reasons, very different ones. I mean, physics because, I mean, like many kids, I guess I wanted to understand how the, the world is, is occurring around me and why it's working that way. Uh, but and mathematics because I mean there is some kind of purity in in the mathematical proof and some kind of uh, uh, I mean when you have a proof of something you it's kind of the end of the story of this thing like it's it's the final answer it's, it's not entirely true because you have better proofs you have proofs that are more illuminating and so on but globally let's say uh, a proof as something much more final. And, and for me, who doesn't necessarily have like a lot of self-confidence and things like that, having this kind of being ensured that this is the final answer, that I have the right proof of something, this was something important for me. So I always had this ambivalent, like these two loves in some sense and not really knowing how to reconcile them. So, so I chose math at some point. Uh, because I, I felt that this, this need to, to be sure about what I write was really something important on the long term to be able to build kind of a castle that will not be a, a, a cowed castle or that could, that could collapse. And um, it's, it just happened that in my studies, at some point, I was drawn to probability, which I liked very much because my teacher, uh, his name was Jean-Francois Legal, was an amazing uh, lecturer and really I mean so you couldn't do anything else I couldn't do anything less than, than falling in love with the area so I started doing a master and there you know surprise 
what do I find? I find an area of probability which is exactly trying to understand physical phenomena. So for me, it was like, uh, oh my God, what just happened? Uh, what I was looking for for years is just in front of me. This is the area which is at the crossroad of the two things I wanted. So, so for me, it's how it, it happened. It's not that I aimed for it. It just occurred in front of my eyes that this was just a perfect area for me. Hugo, you've been recognized for your work on the mathematical theory of phase transitions. Um, can, you, can you give us a, a, a description of, of what a phase transition is and, and how maths can be used to, to describe it? Yeah, so, so I mean, phase transition is not a phenomenon that is specific to math. Actually, it's more of a physical phenomenon. Uh, it's, it's when you, you take a system, usually a complex system, very big system, let's say gas in, uh, in, in the room, or I don't know, a, a magnet, and you, you vary its parameter continuously. Let's say you heat it, for instance, or you pressure it, you change the pressure, and you look how the thing evolves. And what happens in most physical systems is that there, there are what we call critical points, where drastically at this point, the system completely changed behavior. That's what you see with water. If you cool down water at zero temperature, it gets to ice. And this is brutal. It's always at zero temperature, whatever the, the bucket of water you take, uh, I mean, at, at, uh, at atmospheric pressure. And, um, and this drastic change, this is a phase transition. So that's maybe the most famous one with, I mean, water to vapor. That, uh, that happens at 100 degrees. But this is for one system. And in fact, basically any system is undergoing a phase transition at some point. Like most systems are actually having this phase transition. So this is really not something that comes from mathematics originally. Now, what we do as mathematicians is that we try to understand how these phase transitions occur by kind of making mathematical caricatures of, of, the, of the physical phenomena. And what I do for a living is studying these mathematical caricatures, what we call uh, models of, of what happens. Looking at your work with these models where you treat the, the system like a lattice, where the, where, so is that, is that one of the ways you can mathematically describe it? You can... it's, it's definitely one of the caricatures you make. So let's take a typical example of water. Let's stay with water. You have your molecules of water that are, you know, in a liquid, for instance, they are kind of in continuous position. They don't have to lie on a very regular, and they don't lie on a very regular spaced uh, network or lattice. But in order to study these systems, for the mathematician, it's going to be often, not always, but often simpler to imagine that indeed there is a regularity in the position of the atoms. And the beautiful thing is that this is, a, so this is kind of an assumption, which is not even verified by physical systems. So it's not that we make an assumption that we cannot prove. It's even something that doesn't occur. But from studying the system with these additional assumptions, which are maybe unphysical in some sense, you still manage to explain 
some phenomena that actually are those occurring in, in physical uh, systems. It's, it's something that is related to a very deep phenomenon, which is one of the things I try to understand as a, as a mathematician, which is the phenomenon of universality. And it's something that says, and it's almost, you could think of it as a wishful thinking, but it actually is satisfied by most system. It's something that is saying that your models of a physical phenomenon, where the details, the fine details of the model is not really impacting the global behavior of the model. And this is very reassuring for the mathematician and the physicist, because it tells you that if many systems at the end have the same behavior, then it becomes very interesting to choose the simplest example of such systems. And very often the simpler example, the simplest one is a system that is gonna be defined on a lattice. So working on a lattice gives you all this freedom of having well-defined objects, having certain nice properties. And at the end you don't lose anything because you have this universality kind of motto that tells you that the things you are going to derive, the, the theorems you are going to derive, in fact, they are very, very robust. And they would also have worked if you have started from a, a much more complicated system. So that's really interesting. So it doesn't, you, you can use a mathematical model, a mathematical description that isn't necessarily representative of the physical reality, but because of this universality, it kind of, you're still going to get you, you're gonna, still going to end up with the results as if you tried to write, make a really physically accurate system, but you can get more out of it because it's it's this simpler, more mathematically. That, that's, yeah, you answer the question much better than I do. It's exactly that. I mean, that's a very good summary yeah. of, uh, of, of what I said yesterday. I think people outside of mathematics, for start, I think a lot of people don't realise that there's these new frontiers always being explored, but also that you need different types of mathematicians, different types of ways of approaching that mountain to, to, to I, get different progress. I fully agree with that. This is something that I, I guess maybe the, 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 Im the image of, of the mathematician as a, a lonely uh, hero that, that in some sense get his ideas from who, who knows where and, and just produce a, a proof where everybody else was in the dark. I, I mean, to me, at least it's not, uh, I mean, it's definitely a fair description of certain, some mathematicians and it's very, very nice that these people exist, but in my case, it doesn't match at all my vision of mathematics and my way of doing mathematics. I definitely believe that mathematics is much more of a, a group production and that you need these people with different experience, different background, uh, different histories, that is gonna make it that they are gonna think about something that somebody else didn't think about. And it's not that they are better or worse, it's just that they were drawn there by something like more complex than just mathematics that gathers like a lot of what they are. and what. They... So I like very much to interact with people for this reason, because it makes me, I mean, exactly enjoy this, this production that somebody is going to think about that. Why am, for me, this idea was just completely doomed. And then my, my, the guy in front of me just 
change it back to like just look at it from the other side and it looks it becomes a marvelous idea and i'm like and he's like thank you you go for this idea i'm like well i i should thank you you because i mean for me it was just not a good idea at all so you cannot give me credit for that and this is this kind of uh, constant interaction and improvement on everybody's uh, idea that makes it in math and that makes what math is today so yeah so it's a it's a social group activity it's, social group activity. it's very social i mean mathematics is a very social activity much more than what people believe also because it's much simpler to be social because usually you only need to talk right you don't need to be in front of a huge experiment and then the person that you would like to interact with is in front of his huge or her huge experiment on the other side of the world here it's much more sharing ideas and it can be very fast it can be five minutes of a coffee between two talks and you can already go very far so i think it's very social and, uh, and, and that makes it very nice And that's it from Hugo Dumignot-Copin, one of the fields medalists. You can read more about his work by going to plus.maths.org. In our upcoming podcast, you will be hearing from another fields medalist, June Ha, and from the Abacus medal winner, uh, Mark Braverman. But that's it for today. Thanks for listening and bye-bye. Bye. -bye. bye.